Welcome to the GMS Podcast. I'm John Chaplin, and today I'm delighted to be talking to the ship finance legend, Morten Arntzen. Morten, thanks very much for joining us. You are a senior advisor on shipping to Macquarie Bank, and since you joined, the team has financed over 160 vessels and extended over $2 billion in loans. I understand that you spend around half your time being the chairman at Team Tankers, and you hold several board positions and are also a member of the ABS Council. I have been around long enough to remember your move in 97 from Chase Manhattan to AMA, which if you don't know is a finance boutique in New York, which was originally, I think, set up as a partnership between Mallory Jones and Lynch, Heidenreich Marine and Fernleys. So I tend to think of you as a Connecticut shipping royalty. Is that fair description? I'd say a bit of (laughs) Connecticut has a really nice, vibrant shipping community. And I've been around since the early 90s. So call me one of the gray hair, older men in the the Connecticut landscape. (laughs) Okay, I'll stick with royalty. Let's talk about now. What's on your radar these days? Maybe you can just tell us about the timing of Macquarie's move into shipping and what's next. Yeah, let me, I I mean, right now I do three things. I'm I'm executive chairman of Team Tankers, chemical tanker company. And um, there we're doing something unusual. We're actually going to sell our entire fleet of ships and return all the capital to shareholders, a decision we made two years ago when our stock market valuation was around 75 million. And we expect to return, you know, north of 200 million to shareholders this year. So we will, that'll be a better performance than any of the public tanker stocks will have done during that period. And then I'm also director of a dry bulk operator called Guardian Navigation. And in fact, there we're doing the same thing. The owning side sold all their ships at the end of last year, which was good timing. And we're doing the same thing. And then I spend half my time as, as senior shipping industry advisor to Macquarie Bank, which is you know the world's largest infrastructure bank, but wasn't in ship financing until 2016, when they made a really classical counter-cyclical move into the ship lending as the German and English banks retreated and or exited, and then the Nordic banks uh, re- reduced. Macquarie came in, and we've now got a team and done a good business, and are very much open and looking for new business to do. So it's fun. That does sound fun, and I don't want to spoil your fun, but let's talk for a minute about the impact of the EEXI regulations that will soon come into effect. Christian Mork, Oddfield CEO, has argued that many operators haven't yet woken up to the requirements of the EEXI and the carbon intensity indicator. He said recently that a reckoning is coming for owners. But then I was reading Declan Bush writing in Lloyd's today, who said that owners are happy to bear the compliance burden as long as they can pass on the costs. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, there's no question. The only way this works is if the cargo interest will carry the costs. Right. Uh, I mean, the shipping industry simply doesn't, with the exception of the container trades, which is really a, you know, becoming more of a logistics trade and has a whole different economics. But in commodity shipping, the cost will have to get passed on to cargo. Doesn't mean that owners aren't going to have to invest in processes and equipment and vessel improvements and crew improvements to make this work. But the, the cost has to be passed on. And if you look at crude tankers today, most tanker owners are, are paying cargo interest to, to move cargo around. So you add another 10 to 15,000 costs in you know, carbon tax or other things, no way the owners can bear that cost. It will get passed on. Thinking for a second about the inclusion of shipping in the European carbon trading scheme, the new president of EXA, uh, the European Community Ship Owners Association, Mr. Phyllis, said recently that EU rules are a make or break moment for shipping. What's your view on how this could play out for shipping? 
Well, I think uh, the expectation is that certainly that your that shipping will be included in it. It's a little bit early in the numbers game, but if you took today's levels and emissions, you'd be talking about ten to fifteen thousand dollars a day for VLCC to comply, which is more than the freight for even a uh, you know a eco scrubber fitted V today. So that cost will have to get passed on. It means that owners will have to have the capacity to secure the emissions and trade them and do that. But but it's we believe it's coming. Most of the trade is not done European port to European port. Half of it is you know from an out of European port coming in. Yeah. So there'll be it won't be as as straightforward as it looks. But it, it's coming. It'll be a cost. It'll be passed on. I think. But what it really means is that for older, poorly EEXI rated ships, this becomes an even more difficult environment to operate in because they're going to be even less competitive. Let's turn to the tanker market, if we may. Everyone knows that uh, VL rates have been at an all-time low. But there was some glimmer of hope, I think, but yesterday in the news that Poton said that uh, there could be an increase in U.S. crude production, which could give a boost to the tanker market. And they said it depended on a couple of factors, how much of the extra output will be exported, obviously, and where they're headed. What, in your view, needs to happen to the tanker market to alleviate these market woes? Well, there's really uh, two things I think have to happen. There has to be a real surge in scrapping. You know, if you looked in the in the Gulf now, there's probably a third more ships waiting to move cargo than they're needed. Mm. Uh, that's going to persist because we're, we still haven't gotten climbed back to the 2019 levels. I think we'll get there this year. But during that period from 2019 to now, the fleet's been growing. So you have, there, there's no question there has to be a massive amount of scrapping. That is starting to happen. I think the second thing that has to happen is you do have to see a growth in U.S. exports. You know, the, the US, U.S. exports generally will give you something like a triple of the ton mile number that you get if it's Middle Eastern exports that are taking it. If you look at the incredible surge in exports of gas from the U.S. in the last six months, we certainly have the capacity to do that. Hmm. So if you add 700,000 to a million barrels a day of U.S. exports, you're talking about somewhere between 35 and 50 VLCCs you need. So it's, it's, it's a big deal. Those are things that can happen, the scrapping, the U.S. exports. You know, if there was Iran re-entering the, the global trading world, that'll have a positive impact also. But that one's obviously a lot more, le, le, less predictable yep. and, and more of a sort of an event. But that would be a positive event. The other two can happen. Now, I think will happen. Okay. We need to look out for scrapping and uh, U.S. exports. And you brought up Iran, but it's estimated that something like 55 to 60 VLs operating in, in exotic trades. So what do you think would happen to the market if sanctions were lifted? I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's as dramatic. I don't think all those ships disappear, but you have a rough idea what those ships are. They're older. The crew are not treated the same way as the, the ships that trade internationally. Most charterers won't use them. So if all of a sudden, you know, vetting approved vessels can start tr going that trade, it's going to bump some of those out and those other ships will not go into the global market. They likely will not go to storage because they've been polluted by sanction busting. Yeah. Uh, so th those ships will go. So it'll, it'll, it'll definitely be a positive. I just don't think it'll be a ship for ship, you know, good ships in old ships out. Uh, I think some will remain because the NITC fleet is big enough there and they'll continue to trade it, but it'll definitely be a plus. No question about that. So on a very basic level, it's too many ships chasing too few cargoes. Unfortunately, the tanker market really is a classic supply and demand uh, right. market, and there's no question we have too many ships in the water. And that's, you know, the pandemic clearly hurt the tanker market. It gave it a short-term boost in the beginning, 
but that had more to do with contango and and, and Saudis and Russians in a, in a you know an oil war, um, and that has to that has to feed through the system through scrapping. The good thing is ordering you have about the equivalent of seven percent of the fleet on the water on order, but you have a scrapping age group in this segment that's, that's more than double the order book. We've never had those numbers before, and then you have this thing EEXI and CII coming in. And if you throw on top of that, the European the shipping goes into the European trading scheme, and that, which will phase in. But all those will disadvantage older, less fuel efficient, more carbon emitting ships. And some of those less efficient, higher carbon emitting ships haven't installed, installed ballast water systems yet. Yeah. All of a sudden they're looking at, they already are commercially handicapped. There's a, probably a 12 to 18,000 day gap between an eco-fitted scrubber and a non-scrubber fitted non-eco ship. Mm. That'll widen, and so I think the, the, you'll see an acceleration of scrapping of those ships. That's going to happen. So, sure. I think it doesn't happen in the first half of this year. I think uh, owners are going to have to tighten their belts and plead with their banks and perhaps raise some capital or reach into their pockets because I don't I don't see a change quickly. Sure. But regulatory relief is coming, and it's going to really help the tanker market because it needs it. You mentioned the additional costs owners are facing: surveys and dry docking costs of around three or four million. And on the other side of the equation, you have a temptingly high scrap price. Is that essentially the dilemma facing owners of older ships now? Yeah, I, I'd put a little starker. I think the number is probably more than three or four million if yeah. you also have ballast water system involved. And you know, more than half the tanker fleet is going to have to do engine power limitation to comply with the EXI numbers. So they're already going to have a... It's not as enormous because the ships are obviously trading slowly today but it'll be a handicap and they may have to make investments in new hull paints or the fuel efficient ducts and things like that. So it's, it, and there already is a huge gap today, you know, as we talked about, and that gap will get wider. So I think the decision becomes really easy when you're talking about close to 30 million for a V for scrap against the uncertainty and the regulatory hurdles you're now going to get put in front of you, which are coming. Those are not being rolled back. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an easy bet. I think you're probably one of the few top shipping people that have actually been to Alang uh, to, to go personally. Could you just tell us where you went and what impressions you came with? Sure. Well, the Macquarie Bank, you know, we finance older ships, but we're very clear that anybody that we finance the ship is going to have to get scrapped in compliance with the Hong Kong Convention. Mm. And Macquarie is one that likes to kick tires. So they asked if I wanted to go and I used to be on the board of an Indian company. So I spent a lot of time in India and I happen to really like it there. Right. So I was delighted to go, and I thought, hopefully, I was able to go to quite a number of the recycling yards there, and I was able to con- confirm that the owners we have will be able to have a you know a large selection of yards that are Hong Kong compliant, that take the uh, the, the meaning of that you know seriously, and, and and so that we are not penalizing an owner by insisting that they have to go and scrap it responsibly. That's good to know. I expect the number of HKC compliant yards has grown a little since you were there. Did you see what you're expecting to see? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I flew over there with some skepticism yeah. uh, and a lot of questions and a checklist of things I want to look for, you know, safety equipment on all the you know, headgear, goggles, right kind of shoes. I wanted to see where the hazardous materials were stored, that it was actually documented, locked and keyed. Yeah. I wanted to see how waste was handled. I wanted to see the, the planning and processing for the entire cutup of the vessels. Everything that I was looking for, I saw in all the yards. I yeah. only went to the the compliant yards, right? And the training facilities for the people working the yards. So 
I walked away very comfortable that our owners that we finance can do it properly there. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, you know, the, I think Elan is the, is the future of recycling because the world is going to go greener and cleaner. Yeah. And that's what our clients want. And for ship owners, their clients are insisting you guys got to do this right. So I think the, Elan, the, the yards and Elan figured out that it's not only the right thing to do, but it's the business, the right thing. Your clients want it. And it's not going to give you a, a you know competitive disadvantage. It'll probably be an advantage. Sure. Yeah, that's certainly the feedback we're getting from our clients. Uh, I mean, the direction of travel is pretty clear, isn't it? It's absolutely clear. I mean, the I don't think any, anybody seriously in the shipping world thinks we're going back, whether it's on on recycling or emissions or fuel efficiency. It, it's happening. We're we're all moving into that world and get on with it. I think I think along. Uh, I mean, it's good that Bangladesh now has a yard and they have a couple more that are working on it. But but the Indian yards have such a head start on this game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think they'll be they got a decade ahead of their. Well, I will say, you know, the th thing about it is, is you're not going to see many container ships uh, scrapped in the in the near future because the entire world's fleet is needed. Yeah. And dry bulk carriers, same thing. It, it looks like a pretty good outlook there. So tankers are going to be the play. There's a slight worry that there may be some container ships operating that really a little bit past their sell-by date and, and should have probably found their way to the scrapyard. I think I saw a 97 belt container ship just came out of layup and was making six-figure uh, short-term charter rate. So, Wow, those are eye-watering numbers. Morton, thanks so much for taking part in this podcast. Just before we wrap up, let me ask you, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Well, you know what? My 25-year-old son is now working in the sale and purchase department, container department of Clarkson's. In London. Uh, in London. He's been there for, for two and a half years now. You can't imagine a better market. I, I, it's advice, advice I give to all young people. Go in a, go to a place where you're going to learn, really get challenged. I'd say when, when I was getting the business, being quantitative was really helpful and, and being able to do numbers. It's so much more important. If you, it's a much more mathematical and analytical game. The use of data is going to become much more important. Weave that into your position, how you're learning. But I think it's an exciting time. I've been at it for 40 years, but the transition to shipping to a low emission and then ultimately zero emissions world is an enormous undertaking, which will create lots of change, winners and losers. So super exciting time to be in the game. Absolutely. Your son must have been riding the container market roller coaster the last couple of years. He came in when things were just you know, miserable, but starting to look up. I keep reminding him that nothing in shipping stays up forever. Okay. But I will say that the container market, it has legs because the entire fleet is needed right now. Yeah. I'm not tooting Clarkson's horn, but they've been really good at capturing and using data and analytics. And that's, so it's a great environment to be doing that. They have a competitive advantage there. Well, we wish your son all the very best for his career at Clarkson's. And thank you, Morton Arntzen, for joining us on this podcast. Please join us next time when I'll be talking to Lieber Logger, who's the CFO at Euronav, and Gudrun Janssens from the Belgian Shipowners Association.